Well, good morning. Welcome to Grace Community Church. My name is Christine. If your heart was not going now, I think it will be. I am so glad you chose today to come to Grace. It is our first fruit celebration, and we do have so much to celebrate and so much to give thanks for. But before we start that, I do have a few announcements. First of all, Koinonia Foster Homes. Every year, we have the opportunity to bless them. You can grab a name off of the tree outside when you walk out after service, and you can either get a gift for a foster parent or a foster child, and that just helps them at a time that maybe finances are a little low, and it just helps us to be able to offer a blessing to these families. Also, ladies, Christmas dinner coming December 6th. I'm very excited about that. Our very own Shelly Venema will be sharing some special words with us of encouragement. If you don't know Shelly, she is Pastor John's wife. And if you think Pastor John's awesome, you ought to meet his wife. So $10 is all it costs to come to this women's dinner. So if you have a friend that maybe has not been to church and you've just been wondering, how do I get him to church? How do I have him meet some Christian people? Bring them that night. It's going to be just a fun night together. So I'll be out after the service, and you can get a ticket with me. And you've noticed over the last few weeks that we as a staff had shared, we've been sharing about what we love about Grace. And actually, a few people have mentioned that they would like to share what they love about Grace. So if you're one of those people and you're interested in doing that, maybe in the future, um, email Pastor Tim, and then you can talk about details with him and Maybe make some neat plans for the future. Um, if you're new this morning, I want to take this opportunity to welcome you. If you could just raise your hand, we have a packet of information for you. And in the back is a communication card. If you could just fill it out, place it in the offering plate. That just lets us know how we can serve you. And we're so glad that you chose Grace to worship together with us today and hope to see you again. And like I said, it is first fruits, and what a time to celebrate the Lord and all that he has blessed us with. We have so much to be thankful for, don't we? So let's just take time now and worship him. If you're new, we're in a series that uh, has been looking at the church, and in particular, how Jesus views the church, and really coming to understand that we need to view the church with the same kind of great hope and great vision that Jesus has for it. And I, just before we start, I want to maybe catch you up on a few things and give you sort of two different visions of the church, um, as C.S. Lewis tells it in his book, Screwtape Letters. In Screwtape Letters, uh, C.S. Lewis sets up the book so that a senior devil, if you will, um, you can hold off, Jim, just a sec. Let me distract them yet. <laughs> uh, C.S. Lewis has a senior devil, if you will, who's instructing his junior devil on how to get Christians sidetracked. That's the essence of it. So everything's kind of inside out and backwards. And this passage, he's talking about how this junior devil needs to convince Christians to view the church. And you may catch a little bit of yourself and a little bit of how the church needs to be viewed. Okay, thanks, Jim. Uh, this is uh, the senior devil speaking to his junior. One of our great allies at present is the church itself. Do not misunderstand me. I do not mean the church as we see her spread, but through all time and space and rooted in eternity, terrible as an army with banners. That, I confess, is a spectacle which makes even our boldest tempters uneasy. But fortunately, it is quite invisible to these humans. 
All your patient sees is the half-finished sham Gothic erection on the new building estate. And he gets to his pew, that's a seat for you. Uh, he looks around him and sees just that selection of his neighbors whom he has hitherto avoided. You want him to lean pretty heavily on those neighbors, make his mind flit to and fro between an expression like the body of Christ and the actual faces in the pew. Provided that any of those neighbors sing out of tune or have boots that squeak or double chins or odd clothes, the patient will quite easily believe that their religion must therefore be somehow ridiculous. Two visions of the church, one we don't want to own. And I wanted to, um, really, this whole series has caused me to rethink some things. Um, the Apostles' Creed, some of you may know that. Um, it starts out, you go ahead and put that up, Jim. The part uh, you may most be familiar with um, uh, this is early church creed of the essence of, of Christianity. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We're all good there. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Now, what's the next believe that comes up? Going once. I believe in the church. What does it mean to believe in the church? It means to see the church as God sees it. If you could stand. I've got three passages out of Ephesians that we've been looking at, and you'll have to be like a choir to pay attention to this. I'm going to read everything, and then the underlined words, you're going to come in like a choir, or a church, so to speak. Okay? On board? Yes. Here we go. This is the vision that God has of his church, Ephesians 1, and 23. And God placed all things under his feet, under Jesus' feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way, Ephesians 2, 15. His purpose, Jesus' purpose, was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. His intent, Jesus' intent, was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, we pause as we think about all that you have done in our lives. It is a great wonder and all the praise belongs to you. For because of your greatness we stand and are not destroyed by your wrath. It's quite the contrary, Father. Because of Jesus, we are forgiven of our crimes, of our sins. We are chosen. We are adopted into your family. We call you Father now. We are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. We have obtained an inheritance that is unfathomable. You have lavished us with your great grace and mercy because you love us. You did this when we were dead in our sins, when we were not looking for you, when we were far from you, when we desired you not. You are a great God. You are a great father. 
Help us to understand these matters. Give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation. May we understand the depth and the height and the width of your love. May it draw us to you and not from you. Help us, Father, to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, to walk in humility and love with patience and gentleness, bearing with each other, forgiving each other. Help us to imitate you. Help us to be the church and not play church. And Father, we know you can do these things because all things are possible with you. So we ask that you would do it. And Father, we offer these tithes and offerings as an expression of our love, of our gratitude, of our appreciation of you. You truly are worthy of all our praise because you are great. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ who makes all this possible, who is our cornerstone. We prayed in his name, and all his people said loudly, Amen. We often hear the expression, marriage is made in heaven. And that is so accurate and true for the church. We've been talking about the church these past Sundays together the bride of Christ. And we know in Ephesians chapter 5 that Jesus intends to present the church to himself radiant. Radiant. That's not always the way that we see ourselves. And, uh, you know, it's so important as I... Realize again that I am approaching almost 40 years married to Shelley. And I can visualize that day that we stood face to face and I spoke to her my pledges of commitment. And she will tell you, uh, she was almost scared by the seriousness on my face. You know, I'd been given a lot of advice approaching marriage, and it was kind of an awesome, overwhelming thing as I stood there before her and began to express in those vows the commitment of my heart. I'd been told uh, that marriage is tough. I'd been told that... You're not to go to bed angry. I'd been told that you need to pray for each other. I'd been told uh, not to expect too much of uh, the other. It's good to have a realistic picture of marriage, isn't it? In fact, when we're told things like that, uh, the reality of two people committing to live to one another kind of peeks through. It's, it's not as perfect as perhaps we imagine it. 
even though we may think it's made in heaven. We're told, and we've focused on this, that marriage is made in heaven. It's God's design. It's God's plan, hatched before the foundation of the world, carried out in the groom, Jesus Christ. And yet, on a morning like this, we're given a glimpse of that. And uh, as I was singing and sitting here, perhaps uh, my thoughts ran along the same course lines that yours did. And our hearts are lifted up. We're given a vision of something that's far beyond what sometimes we experience day in and day out. Uh, sometimes what we think day in and day out. And it causes our heart to flutter a bit, to leap a bit, because uh, we see something that God says is so real. And uh, sometimes we see it too, and we aspire to it. We rise to it. We do experience it. Marriage, which we know of perhaps in mother and father, friends, perhaps in our own commitments and experience, often falls short of our highest expectations. And yet, it has moments of great beauty, and it represents something even more profound. That's because even in the foundation of his creation, God made Adam a counterpart, not because he was lonely, but because he was alone. And marriage, we're told, in all of the forms in which we experience it, with all of its uh, beauty and all of its flaws, is a covenant, it's a commitment, it's a relationship in which grace, God's grace, and even God's majesty is realized. This morning, as his church, we are gathered, even as that first church was gathered when it was, in a sense, established in Jesus, a community created in him. because there's an aloneness that has to be met in one another. And it is founded and grounded in Jesus Christ. That's what we observe this morning. As we hold in our hands the bread, which is his body, 
And in a sense, it represents the groom. And the cup, which represents the new covenant in his blood, in himself, created through his commitment, through his life, given, shed for you and me. He presents himself to us once again. And as we hold that bread and cup, we realize that it's not because uh, we're all that we should be. In fact, it's because we aren't that he presents himself to us. And he says, will you marry me? And that is a pledge that we welcome because we realize, just as we may realize in other relationships, that we're not fulfilled in each other. We're fulfilled in him. No one can be that perfect. He's the one who's perfect. That's the reason he was sent. That's the reason he came. That's the reason he gave his life for you and for me. That we might know real fulfillment, real personhood, real completeness in Jesus Christ. And that's something that's realized experientially in the church, even though he's the foundation and cornerstone. It's something that makes our heart leap, makes us aspire to greater things because we realize they're true in Jesus Christ. And so this morning, as we uh, hold this bread and cup, let's remember who we are. That he presents himself to us because he has a vision of you and me as his church, radiant and beautiful, holy, without wrinkle or blemish. And that's something we don't realize in anyone else but in Jesus Christ. This morning is special to us because we've never done this. So it is uh, powerful to us. Forgive the tremble in my voice because we want to serve you. We want to give you the bread and the cup. And maybe just a, a material expression, a human expression of our oneness because we do love you. And so, remember as you hold the bread that it was Jesus who said, this is my body, which is for you. And as you hold the cup, it was he who said to you, this is the new covenant in my blood. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread. When he'd broken it, he blessed it, broke it, and said, this is my body, which is for you. After supper, the cup also, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. All of you drink. The Apostle Paul said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death 
until he comes. We're going to sing a closing hymn, a great hymn. But following that, we have a reception just outside our doors, a wedding reception, if you will. And uh, we're looking forward to that. We hope that you will take a moment, spend some time with the rest of the church family, uh, rejoicing in the Lord this morning. I'm going to ask you to stand. I want to uh, let you know that as after we sing and uh, close, you can give these cups to those at the doors who will receive them. And we'll also receive the, uh, the deacon's offering if, uh, if you would like to give unto the needs of those who come to us for help and whom we help in the name of the Lord. Let's stand together.